If you will, please stand with me. The word of the Lord to us this morning is from Psalm 128. If you remember, we're, we're in a section of the Psalms that are very practical. Just If you'll just look back at uh, 126 and verse 4, that this is where the pilgrims were crying out to the Lord, Oh God, would you grant fruit? Would you pour out your gracious rains that we might have blessing? And then we went on to Psalm 127. And the Lord gives this answer to them who want to be fruitful. And, and He tells them in the Psalm before ours that if you want to live a fruitful life, you need to be diligent and serve Me. But even more than that, you need to depend upon Me for all fruit. And then this morning we get to Psalm 128, which says this, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man, or shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You may be seated. I don't know if you picked up on this while we were reading, but this is what's called a wisdom song. Uh, the wisdom language of Proverbs in the beginning of the book of Psalms or, or throughout our passage. And basically what the psalmist is communicating to you and to me is if, if you want to be fruitful, if you want a life that is prosperous and blessed, then you have to be wise. What this is saying is there is a way that the whole world labors for similar things that we do. A fruitful home, a fruitful work life, and some sort of meaningful, spiritual or eternal connection and the way that the world does it, and if you do it this way, all of your labors will be in vain. Church, do you want to be happy? Verse 1, the first word, blessed, could be translated happy. Do you want to be happy? Here's the truth that we're given this morning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of fruitfulness. Psalm 128 in one sentence is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of fruitfulness. There is an essential element to worship. As the pilgrims are making their way up into Jerusalem to, to be in the presence of God, they are reminded by Psalm 128 that an essential element of their relationship with the Lord is that they fear Him. Point number one, 
Blessed are the God-fearers. Verses 1 through 4 teaches us that blessed, happy are those who fear God. Now, as we go through verses 1 through 4, I want to acknowledge what is really natural for all of us. Our eyes are immediately going to be drawn to verses 2 and 3. Our eyes can quickly skip past verse 1. We ignore verse 4. And and this is natural that we would focus on, I want verse 2. I want to be fruitful and be blessed at work. I want verse 3. I want to be fruitful and be blessed in my home. But I also want to caution us. I want to caution us about a wrong approach to these verses. Just acknowledge that the entire world is under sin and under death because our first mother focused only on the allure of fruit. And there, it is possible to be like Eve and just to set our eyes on how desirable the fruit is of, of having a blessed job and having a blessed home and we don't even see what that fruit is hanging off of a tree that God has commanded us not to take from. And we don't even see that at the root of that tree is the God who planted that tree, who we should fear. And so I think we'll start where Eve started, but we won't end where Eve ended. We're going to gaze first at the fruit, verses 2 and 3, but then we're going to trace the fruit to the vine that it's hanging off of and then to the source of the fruit or the root of living a faithful life. First of all, let's look at verses 2 and 3 and see that prosperity is the fruit of what Psalm 128 is offering to you and to me, to pilgrims on our way to God. Verses 2 and 3, the psalmist is using the landscape of Israel. You see that imagery that he's using as pilgrims would have been marching their way up the mountain to Jerusalem to worship God. It's as if the psalmist is saying, don't you want to be like those olives in the Garden of Gethsemane? Don't you see that? And don't you want to be like that? Verse 2, the psalmist is holding out fruitfulness at work. Where all the hours that you pour out, whether whether you're pouring them out at a desk or in a field or in, in your home or at school, where all of that effort God is using to actually nourish you, verse two, to 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 like like fruit would nourish your body. That your work would lead to flourishing and filling your life with joy and happiness. We don't want the majority of the hours that we spend every single day, whatever you're doing. We don't want that to be a waste. We want it to be a blessed by God. We want our work to actually serve other people. And we also want it to be personally rewarding to us. 
And that's what he's holding out. But he's also holding out verse 3, the fruit of a fruitful home. Just look at verse 3, how appealing this is to have a wife who is fruitful, which means her vine produces many olives. In this case, many children. The psalmist is embracing this view that a big family around the table is the blessed life. Isn't that what we want? Don't we all want the people that we love most in this world to be happy and healthy? In other words, the psalmist is holding out in verses 2 and 3 something we all desperately want, this fruit. But we have to look at more than the fruit. We also have to look at the vine. And what the psalmist says is that faithfulness to the Lord is the vine that brings the blessing. Look at what this fruitful job and the fruitful home is hanging off of. The fruit is attached to something. It is diligent labor. Why don't you see this in the text? Look in verse 1. The person who is blessed in these ways, at the end of verse 1, walks or lives a certain way. There is a way that leads to destruction. And the psalmist says there is another way that leads to blessing. And... And this other way is not so much a path that's paved, it's a path that's engraved. This fruit of verses 2 and 3 grows on. It grows out of faithfulness to the ways of God. You cannot miss this. This is exactly what, where Eve went wrong. Her eyes were fixed On the fruit, it looked desirable to the eyes and to make one wise. She was not looking that it was attached to the ways of God. And the ways of God said, that fruit's not for you. And even if God is holding out fruit that is for us, it does not come to us. It says, it only comes to those who walk in His ways. We walk in His ways, when we live according to what is written in His Word. Listen. We walk in His ways when we live according to what is written in His Word. Prosperity is the fruit, faithfulness is the vine, and fear is the root of blessing. Eve totally missed the way of happiness. And you can too. You can grab for a fruitful life. You can grab for what seems to be a good use of your life. And some image of what a good and happy family is. 
And if you miss this, you will miss it. You cannot have the fruit if you will not obey God. And what the psalmist is clearly saying is you will not obey God if you don't fear God. Psalm 128 says that the blessings of verses 2 and 3 come to a person who in verse 1 walks in God's ways. And when he says at the end of verse 1, this is a person who walks in God's ways, he's describing the person who fears God. And then he says it again in verse 4. Thus, behold, see this. Thus shall be the man be blessed. Blessed with fruitful work, blessed with a fruitful home, if he fears God. Fearing God is the root of that blessing. If you want to make a happy life for yourself, the first ingredient of happiness is the fear of God. In other words, we do not worship Him unless we fear Him. Now, I think this is a confusing concept. It's confusing because God has said so much about it. And and He'll say so much about passages like this, fear me. But then He also says a lot, fear not. I think part of our confusion comes from how common an experience fear is. I mean, we all know what it means to be afraid of clowns, for example. Good heavens. I knew someone who's afraid of avocados. We're afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. We're afraid. We're a fearful people. Everyone's afraid of death. Maybe everyone is afraid of poverty and loneliness. But the common experience of fear in our life makes it hard for us to know what God means when He says, fear me. Because we know that there's something wrong with those other common ways that we experience fear. And therefore, surely, when, when that's what we think of as fear, we should not fear God like that. And so, what we're tempted to do is we always kind of mark out the word fear anytime we see it as a command. And we, we replace it with the word honor. That seems easier for us to get. The most helpful... Uh, explanation and simplest explanation that I've heard about the fear of God came from one of my professors, Bruce Ware. And I've kind of uh, abbreviated this, and I want to share this with you um, this morning. I want you to see four aspects of fearing God. It, it, it includes trembling. It includes trusting. It includes opposing. And it includes obeying. What does it mean to fear God? It means to tremble before God's holiness and His just judgment against all wickedness. It also means to trust Him, not just tremble before Him, but to trust Him unreservedly because of His blessing. 
toward those who turn to him alone for their well-being. And then if we tremble and we trust, that will be proven in a life that opposes all unrighteousness and then also obeys all of God's laws. Fearing God is not just about trusting or honoring. It is also about trembling. And it is about opposing all unrighteousness in our life and obeying God's law. Isn't that why this man who is blessed in Psalm 128 is described similarly the way that the man is blessed in Psalm chapter 1? Where the one who is blessed opposes the wicked ways, will not sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead walks in God's ways. The one who fears obeys God because he trembles before him and trusts him. This is what a believer is. It's someone who fears God. It's someone whose behavior, his ways, his lifestyle reflects a certainty in our hearts always that God exists. Therefore, if he's at work or if he's at home, and what that means is if he's at work or at home, that's all of his life, it seems, right? All of his life, everywhere, he's aware that God is perfect in purity. He does not wink at sin ever. There's nothing evil he does. He's perfect in purity. It is a person who is always aware that God's knowledge is exhaustive. He knows every thought you think. He knows every reason why you do Everything you do, he knows it all. It's a person who lives a certain way, who brings his behavior into line with his belief that God is awesome in power. And if he knows everything and he stands against all unrighteousness, we don't ever feel safe in sin. It's a person who fears God because he is just in his judgments. And, and we know always that all who do not live for him are going to perish. And that includes people who are very religious. People who thought they were serving him, but they were just manipulating him. And trying to impress him with their righteousness. And they were proud. Blessed are God-fearers who tremble before Him and who trust Him unreservedly and who oppose all unrighteousness and obey all His commands. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of fruitfulness. The second thing we see is in verses 5 and 6 where the psalmist moves from describing how the God-fearers are blessed. And now he is, he is praying, God bless God-fearers. Verses 5 and 6 is a prayer. We had verses 1 through 4, a picture of what it means to be happy and blessed. Verses 5 and 6 are a prayer that God would bless those who fear Him. Verse 5 shows us that those who fear God are not going to feel blessed just because their business is going well or they're happy inside the walls of their home. God-fearers do not feel blessed until Jerusalem is blessed. What it means, this city where 
God uniquely lived, where where he was worshipped, where his people would show how worthy he is by traveling to him three times a year. What it what it means to be blessed is for all of God's people always to be worshiping in God's presence. It is not your best life now kind of blessing. It is my best life is only in the presence of God in for us the new Jerusalem. All the days of your life you want to see all the people of God faithfully worshiping in the presence of God. Verse 6 is kind of a, a repeat of verse 3. It, it explains uh, this universal, oh, not demand, desire of every grandparent. Uh, bring around those grandkids more often, right? It's blessed to see your children's Children, that is uh, a universal experience that we can affirm. And yet here is the root of it. And you need to know that there's a qualification here in who we're talking about. Jerusalem and Israel uh, are, are, are what is in mind here. So that the families of Jerusalem, the families of Israel are not just a natural family. This is the people of God. And so just as blessing is not just about me as an individual, but all God's people worshiping in God's presence in the same way, Verse 6 says that what it means to be blessed is to do your part to multiply the people of God beyond your lifetime. That is why it's a blessing for grandparents to see grandkids because they're seeing faithfulness and fruitfulness continue beyond their lifetime. And in the family of God, there's a desire to see the faithfulness of the people of God and the fruitfulness of the people of God go beyond our life. Psalm 128 is all about shalom. It ends with a, this call of peace being upon the people of God. And this refrain, peace be upon Israel, that we see over and over in the Psalms of Ascent. This, they're singing this over and over. And what Psalm 128 teaches us is that the fear of God is the fountain of true prosperity. If you want Real prosperity, real shalom, peace, fullness of life. Then it only is produced by one fountain. And Psalm 128 says it's the fear of God. Now, I think we should acknowledge that the people of Israel never had this peace. And. And what we can say, because we know that no Israelite ever saw this prayer answered. The prosperity of Jerusalem all of their days. None of them experienced that. Then if, if that's the case, according to this psalm, they did not get this peace because they did not fear God. That was the problem with Israel. Ultimately, they did not fear God. They were thrown out of God's presence because they did not walk in the Lord's ways. They were cast into Babylon, away from Jerusalem and God, because they walked according to the ways of this world. 
And then when God sent them back to Jerusalem, even then he sent prophets to them. And he was saying, you're still not walking in the ways of the Lord. I want you to notice in Psalm 128, the singular nouns. The singular nouns. Verse 1, everyone. Verse 2, you. You, you, your wife, verse 3. The man, verse 4. Verse 5, may you see this. Verse 6, may you, singular, all of them. This is about a man. Again, who is a lot like that man of Psalm 1. There is really only one man who could sing this song truthfully. There's only one man who did not ever walk in the ways of the wicked. There is only one man who feared God alone. There is only one man whose every labor of his hands God blessed. There is only one man whose family God made fruitful. There is only one man who brought eternal prosperity to Jerusalem and all the people of God. And that was God's Son who became a man, Jesus Christ. And God spoke to us about Him long before He was born. In Isaiah chapter 53, this is what it says about this man. Listen to what God says about this man. Although He had done no violence, And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul... He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, the Lord says, make many to be accounted righteous, and He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide Him a portion with the many, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. These are the Psalms that the people of Israel, the faithful pilgrims, when they're going into Jerusalem during the feast, like Passover, were singing. And it says that when Jesus celebrated the Passover with His disciples, He left the upper room singing. And heading to the Mount of Olives, is it possible that on the way, he's singing Psalm 128. That the Lord Jesus is facing the wrath of God for the sins of His people. Might He have been thinking about making a bride fruitful? Might he have been thinking about filling the house of God with many offspring? Jesus wanted that. He wanted, Lord, bless 
the work of my hands. And Lord, make my bride fruitful so that there are many around our table. He wanted the fruit, but he wanted it in a different way than Adam and Eve wanted the fruit. Jesus reached for that fruit by fearing God. Jesus trembled. You remember this. He trembled at earning God's wrath more than he trembled at bearing God's wrath. He didn't. He said, is there any other way for your wrath to be appeased and for me to go to the cross? And God's answer was no. And so God, or Jesus trusted. He trembled. I would rather bear your wrath than earn your wrath. So I will go. Your will be done. And therefore, Isaiah predicted, because Jesus, this man, did this, God prolonged Jesus' days eternally. And he raised him from the dead to share his blessings with all that he would make righteous by his death. Beloved, listen to Psalm 128. Maybe you've always, you can't remember a day where you were not afraid of hell. That does not mean that you always feared God the way that you were supposed to fear God. You did not. Because fearing God is not like the trembling and shaking of a servant to a tyrant. Someone you actually hate. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we heard this earlier, we hated Him. Fearing God is a filial kind of love, uh, fear, not a servile kind of fear. It's a filial kind of fear. It is the trembling and trusting of a God you love and are devoted to. And Ephesians chapter 2 told us we could not walk in His ways because we were walking in the world's ways. We were serving His enemy. Beloved, when we take Psalm 128, just realize this could not be you until Jesus died, but beloved, Jesus did die for us. And God raised him up and raised us up with him. What did we hear? To walk in his ways. We'll see this in a couple of weeks. Look at Psalm 130, verse 4. With you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. Verse 3 said, if you should mark our sins, none of us will stand before you, but with you is for forgiveness so that we might fear. Don't you see, forgiveness of sins should never lead you to not fear God. That's why He's forgiven you, that you might fear Him in this way. What that means. What that means. is that you do not fear Him if you've not been forgiven by Him. Do you see in verse 5, prosperity comes from Zion. But it, you need to also understand it doesn't just come from Zion, it's only experienced in Zion. This blessed life is only experienced by those who know Christ. Now, I have no doubt that everyone here wants verses 2 and 3. I could tell you 
just shoot up a prayer and it's yours. But it's entirely possible and too often happens that those who send up those prayers stay in Babylon. They do not come to Zion. These are people who left Babylon to be near God. You can find riches and children and you can find a long life in the world. But if you are not near the Lord, you are not blessed in the way that Psalm 128 holds out a blessing. And if you have everything and not Him, you will lose everything when you face Him. Because you've refused to worship Him. So let me take Psalm 128 and encourage everyone here to leave Babylon. Forsake the good life if it means you lose the Lord. Turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus and you will be blessed. Now God has answered the prayer of Psalm 128 in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, do you have this blessing? If you want fruit in your life, your first focus cannot be fruit. It has to be fear. And verse 1, everyone who fears obeys. It is a fatal misunderstanding to think you can be saved from sin and also feel safe in sin. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God forgives us of sin so that we might fear Him. Be drawn to Him and love Him. So let me close with a couple of encouragements. And we'll, we'll just take two areas of life that are in Psalm 128. Ultimately, we want to be fruitful at work and we want to be fruitful in the home. And so what Psalm 128 says is that we need to walk in his ways at work and we need to walk in his ways at home. In other words, Psalm 128 is saying, fear Jesus at work and fear Jesus at home. So many people worship work. They're not bowing down on their knees. They're not praying to work. I'm not saying that. But they have no time for God because of work. And they have no time for the things that God wants them to have time for, like their families, because they're chasing riches and they're chasing recognition. Some people never work because they always want to worship. But you are not actually trusting the Lord if you're not laboring. Those who trust the Lord labor for Him. Neither of those ways is the way of God. Being a fruitful executive or a fruitful employee or a fruitful stay-at-home mom, it all begins with fear. Here are two ways you can fear Jesus at work. One, number one, put worship before work. Fearing Jesus means 
listening to Him. Speaking to Him. Gathering to worship Him. Knowing and caring for His people. All of those things are more important to Jesus than than impressing your boss. All of those things are more important to Jesus than giving your kids a good life. They are. Put worship before work. But secondly, use your work to worship Jesus. It doesn't matter what kind of work you're doing. Again, I'm, I'm substituting work for what you're spending the majority of your hours doing. It doesn't matter. You should do all of it for Him. You should work hard at what you're doing for Jesus. You should not cheat your boss. Moms who stay at home, you should not cheat your children by spending your time on piddly things or cheat your children by always being angry at them or whatever. If you're a student, you should not cheat your teachers because of Jesus. And you should provide for your family. You should share with the saints and with strangers what God has blessed you with for the sake of Jesus. All of that is going to give testimony that you actually believe Jesus sees everything I do. He cares about everything I do. And He is worthy of this work. And then you use your work to worship Jesus by speaking for Jesus whenever your coworkers start to wonder why is it that you are so faithful. Secondly and finally, fear Jesus at home. Fear Jesus at home. I'm drawing this from Psalm 128 that says that there is a fruitful home for those who walk in His way, surely at home. Who walk in His ways at home. And isn't it just so common that some do not fear Jesus because ultimately they worship family? Listen to me. Maybe these are the two most common idols, work and family. Beloved, your parents, your spouse, your children must not be your God. And yet, those who walk in God's ways in the home, we're told, will receive a blessed home. God-fearing family members put every other family member behind Jesus. God-fearing family members put every other member in the family behind Jesus. Jesus tells me to do this. You tell me to do that. I'm going with him. God-fearing husbands do not just clothe their wives with fine dresses. But because of Jesus, we sacrifice our hobbies, our TV shows, our vacations perhaps, to clothe our wife with righteousness. To free up our wife from the work of the home perhaps. To have time for devotions. To encourage Not just for us to spend time with the guys, but for her to spend time with the girls. Godly friendships for your wife is how you fear God, promoting that. God-fearing wives do not just cook the bacon that daddy brings home, right? 
They walk in God's ways by joyfully submitting to their husbands and rejoicing in those moments where you see your husband putting Jesus before you. God-fearing children tremble knowing. Listen, children. God-fearing children tremble knowing that you, like us, will answer to God. And so will your parents. And so you don't just tremble, you also trust Jesus whenever He commands you to honor your father and your mother in the tone of your voice, in your quickness to obey them all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Family is where the supremacy of the Lord Jesus is proven. And homes where Christ is supreme know that our faith family is supreme over our natural family. Listen to me. If Christ is supreme in your home, then it will be evident to everyone in your home that your faith family is supreme over your natural family. The church is your real family and your real home if you are in Christ. Paul takes the words of Psalm 128 and Galatians 6. Peace be upon Israel. And he says in Galatians chapter 6, Peace be upon the Israel of God, the church. Fearing Jesus and living a fruitful and a happy life means that you use your job and your home to expand not your things, or stuff, or comfort, but the glory of Almighty Christ. That means we work harder for Christ to be glorified in our work than we do to get that promotion. It means that we are more concerned that our spouse and our children are discipled than that they serve our family values. This is a call to be wise, beloved. Be wise. Fear the Lord by walking in His ways. Live all of your life before Him. Being attracted to His goodness, but also putting to death every ounce of pride. Every ounce of presuming upon Him in your sin. And every ounce of idolatry of putting anything before Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of fruitfulness. 